Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Would you stand with me, please, while we read the scripture, the word of the Lord from Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Father, we pray that your word would speak through your presence and through your angels. May you speak to our hearts and souls and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The next couple of weeks, this day and then next Sunday, I want to focus on something I'm calling I Know the Plans, because God has plans. This week, I want to focus on the past. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the future. But as we read this, Jesus was in the middle of of creating a plan here. He was figuring out a plan. It was a very significant moment, a very salient moment, a moment of challenge and temptation, but also a moment of victory and success. But Jesus, through this, was producing and beginning to produce a plan. But I want to connect it to some other things because we often don't know the fullness of what's going on here. And hopefully today, in just a short amount of time, we can grab that a little bit together. But one of the things I wanted to connect, because if you recall, before the Christmas season, we were in a series about the book of Exodus. We were looking at the people of God, the nation of Israel, and how they were leaving Egypt, and God was calling them into the promised land through the Exodus. And we find that, of course, in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. We're going to be coming back to that at some point. And so uh, there's some connection to that that we often don't see when we're looking at Jesus and some of the things that he was doing while he was executing his ministry on this earth. And this is one of those moments. Now, we often find that there is a parallel between the nation of Israel, the people of God that God was calling in the Old Testament, and with Jesus. But it's not always immediately apparent. But it's happening all over the place. And it's important because it connects something very significant in terms of who he was and what he was doing and what his plan was. 
See, for example, let me give you an example on this. The, the scripture that we just read, Jesus was encountering the devil in the wilderness, we're told. Right before that, though, if we look one chapter before that in the Gospel of Matthew, we will see that Jesus is baptized. He comes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, why are you coming to me to be baptized? You're without sin. I know who you are. You're the Son of God. I should be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus makes this kind of cryptic statement. He says, let us do this to fulfill all righteousness. What does he mean? Well, I can tell you at least one reason why Jesus was baptized, and it was not to gain forgiveness for sin. When we think of baptism, that's how we tend to think of it today, because we're, as, as Christians, we understand that baptism means that we have turned from our sin, turned to Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and we are baptized identifying with him in a process that sim- symbolizes that cleansing of sin that he provides. And so that's how we see it, and we wonder, why would Jesus need to do this? Well, there are several factors we could talk about why he was baptized in the moment, but this is probably one of the most significant ones. It was to identify him with the nation of Israel, the people of God, and something they had done a long time ago. You see, in 1 Corinthians 10, we're told this. Look at this statement. I, he says, the, the writer says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, that's the nation of people, the followers of God, our ancestors were all under the cloud. That was the presence of God who often came in a cloud. And they all passed through the sea. Now, that was when they passed through the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, when God miraculously delivered them from the nation of Egypt that they were enslaved in to the towards the promised land that they were going to. And so he goes on to say they were all baptized. See that? They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in or through the sea. And so the picture we're getting here is that the people walked through this water as a preparation to leave behind that old place of slavery and move into this new place of walking with God in the promised land and in freedom and new life with God. And in the same way, we see in Matthew chapter 3 again, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Jesus was being prepared for a mission to carry out the mission of God and the purposes of God, much like the nation of Israel had been called many, many centuries before that. And so there was a parallel there. And Jesus was fulfilling that symbolism in his own ministry. He also is paralleled to Israel in in other things he did, including the passage that we just read. The moment after he was baptized, we are told that he went into the wilderness Now, if we go back to the times again of Exodus, when the people of God were coming out of Egypt, what do we read? Deuteronomy 8 tells us how long they spent in that wilderness. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Do you see that? 40 years they were wandering to humble you, to test you, in order, or in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. You see, they didn't. Sadly, they failed. And that's, frankly, why they found themselves wandering, because they had failed to trust God and walk closely with him. But notice, they were there for 40 years, we were told. Well, look at what Matthew tells us in in chapter 4. When Jesus goes into the wilderness, we're told, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, which we just read. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Are you seeing a parallel? 40 years, the people of God wandered in the desert. Jesus, this individual man, wanders 40 days and 40 nights in the desert until the point where he is very hungry, very dependent 
very in need. There's a reason why there's a parallel. And there's many more. We might look at some next week as well. But the point is this. The reason the parallel was there is because the people of God, who would, would have been known in the time of Exodus as the nation of Israel, eventually they would come to be known as that, they were called to walk with God, to represent God, to choose him over the testing and the trials and the temptations of the world. But they failed. They failed that many times. I don't know about you, but maybe we can get a witness in here. I think I can identify with those kind of people. I find myself in their camp often. And yet where they failed, Jesus succeeded. Where they failed, Jesus succeeded. And so if you looked at that nation, you might call them that they were um, failed Israel. Jesus is often referred to, and this is why he's often referred to, as true Israel. He is the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes. God succeeding in his plans and purposes. So Jesus was succeeding where the people had failed. And that's why we often see the parallels. They had been tested and found wanting. He was tested and found to be true. Jesus was in tune with God's voice. That's why he succeeded. He listened closely. He didn't get distracted or create distractions from God's voice. He was always tuned in to what God was saying, tuned in to what God was singing. He was listening closely. But like Israel, I have to say it, we're, we're often out of tune, aren't we? We're often out of step. We're creating distractions. We're, we're, missing, we're missing what God is saying. We're missing the notes. I was recently at uh, a concert, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, it was really great to go see them. What a fantastic group of musicians. It had been a while since I was able to see them. Some friends of ours uh, invited us, and it was very nice. Went there and uh, listening to a, just a beautiful piece of music. I won't spend time uh, talking about it, but if you heard the main theme from this music, you would know it. It comes, actually has been used in a famous movie. It's a beautiful moment with piano and orchestra. And it, got, it gets, reaches this point where the melody comes to a conclusion, and you should be able to just hear a pin drop. It's just such a sweet moment of conclusion. And then there's these few seconds before the music continues again. And right when it got to that second, I'm telling you, there was this guy 20 feet that just let out this rip-roaring cough, okay? I mean, but not the kind where, you know, you have to cough. You know, we know those. <coughs> no, it's sort of like the... <laughs> and it was like, okay, we all heard you, but the goal here was not to hear that. And it's like, it's, we can do that sometimes with God. We can kind of find these moments in which we're supposed to be listening real carefully. I'm just testing you to see if there was going to be any coughs coming out. <laughs> you did good. You did good. And so we're supposed to be listening real carefully, and yet there's something that we're just bringing distraction into the moment. That's kind of how it felt, anyway, in the moment, in a funny way. But that's, I, thought of, I thought of that as I was uh, thinking on this issue. Jesus listened closely to God. He didn't distract from what God was saying. He didn't get confused or get his attention drawn away. And part of the reason that Jesus was able to do this is because he knew the Word of God. He, he knew the scripture. We saw that in this exchange with, with the devil, with the enemy. He, he knew the word of God well. He knew how to draw upon it in the moment. He knew how to listen closely and bring it out properly in the moment to apply it 
to what was going on, whether it be a good moment, whether it be a test or a trial, he was able to do this. And nowadays, that is just not a common thing anymore. It's, it's, it's not something that we have command of. In fact, I mean, I saw something recently. It actually quite flabbergasted me. You might have heard of this, but there was a, a Jeopardy episode recently in which there were three contestants on there. One was, the, of course, the reigning champion. The other two were, of course, well, you know, very smart contestants. They know their stuff on Jeopardy, if you know the show. They know facts about everything. And they were looking to, of course, displace the reigning champion. And they all get hit with a question in a moment. And the host reads them the clue that begins this way. Matthew 6, verse 9 in the Bible says, Our Father, which art in heaven, blank, be your name. And do you know not one of those three people could answer that question? Not one. Now, these are people nowadays, especially you watch Jeopardy, they can answer questions about the most obscure things you could possibly think of. And yet this stumped three of them, including a reigning champion. It would be so easy for us to say that that's only true of Jeopardy contestants. But it's not true of those of us who follow God, right? But the truth is, I don't even know if we all know the answer to that question. You might have been wondering it. The answer is hallowed or hallowed. Be thy name. It means to be sacred or to be worthy. But there's probably plenty of things that we can answer. Plenty of things we should be more familiar with and we're not. And so what does that mean? What does that mean in the moment when we need to draw on these things? It's important that we dive deep and we don't wait for the difficult times to try to go deep with God. We go deep now in preparation for the difficult times when we're led into those places. This is why we host Bible studies and discussion groups like we do. We have Bible study leaders here that put in hours and hours a week to prepare. Did you know that? They put in, they have pages and pages of notes sometimes. I've seen them. I've reviewed them and read them. And they do fantastic work. Why do they do it? Because they want each of us to be able to plug into something where we can go deep and we can be prepared on the Word of God. We have discussion groups here. Men's and women's, the Men of Courage group, the Women of Strength group. Every time I step in the men's group, there is something that shapes my perspective. Because it's based on Scripture, and we have a discussion based on Scripture and bring life experience into it, and everyone shares. And it's amazing. I draw something out of that every time I'm there. But if we're not at things like this, what is it that we're... How is it that we're growing? How is it that we're prepared? And there's, of course, there's DBI. There's things outside of this church, of course. But those are the things that we're offering. Because why? We want to be people of the Word, like Jesus was. So what are you waiting for? Get deeper. This is a new year. Go after it. Get the Word of God deeply into you so it's ready to come out the right way, the right time, that doesn't create distraction or confusion, but creates what Jesus saw here. Protection, provision, blessing. Jeremiah 29 is a scripture that I'm basing these two parts, uh, this two-part message on. But we often even misunderstand this one. It says this, this is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, this was him writing to the people, those people who came out of Egypt in the Exodus had now actually found themselves in the clutches of an enemy because they'd abandoned God, they'd walked away, 
and they walked into a path of danger, and now they find themselves literally captive in the lands of an enemy, somebody who wanted to destroy their future. But God says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, this enemy that captured them, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. That means to their land that he had given them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Does that sound familiar? We know that verse. And well, we should. Because I'm not going to try to empty out the meaning of that verse for many of us who have called on it at many significant points, saying that we believe that God has plans for us, for hope and a future. That is certainly true, and we should hold on to that. But we need to understand it in the way that it was given in the Word of God, or we could become very confused, because it does not mean that that means nothing bad is going to happen in our path. As we see right there, the people were in the midst of captivity. They had lost their homes, their lands, It was a difficult, difficult time for them. And yet God in the midst of that difficulty was saying, you have a hope, you have a future, I have plans. So hold on. It's important we understand this. God has plans for us, in other words. They're just not always our plans. They're not always the ones we want all the time. Jesus was accomplishing God's plan for us. That's what was beginning largely in this moment when he faced this enemy. He had a plan to provide us a future. And one of the significant ways that he was doing that in this very moment was by redeeming the past. And that's what I want to spend the rest of the time on. God makes plans for our future by redeeming the past. If we ignore the past, we will miss it. We need to understand what God is doing with the past. Jesus here deliberately quoted to this enemy that was trying to trip him up and destroy this whole plan of God. Because if he could take Jesus down, it's over. None of us have a chance. If we had all failed before that, we would fail again. But he was trying to trip him up, and Jesus in the middle of that deliberately quoted from the lessons that the people of Israel had learned while in that wilderness. He was quoting from them on purpose. In other words, Jesus had learned from the past. And that is what brought the victory. Now let me explain to you what I mean. Let's go through each of those. There were three moments in that encounter that Jesus had. Let's look at them just each briefly, one at a time. The first one, we see the tempter, that's the devil, came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now again, most of the time when we look at this and the two temptations that follow, we often talk about the three things that Jesus are being tempted on, are three common categories that we all get tempted on. The first one is on the flesh, the lusts or desires of the flesh that can take us in a wrong direction. And the second one, of course, is, is the mind and how the mind can be overthrown, bad thoughts, other things. And then finally, it's the, the lust or the desire for power and how power can corrupt the soul. And that's all true here, but that's not what I want to focus on today. What I want to focus on is notice what Jesus said in response. Why did he choose that verse? What did it mean at the time that it actually was said by God? He was quoting the Old Testament. He was quoting the scriptures because he knew them well. So what did it mean in response to this? The devil saying, just turn these stones into bread. should be an easy feat for you. And then Jesus, instead of doing it, saying, yeah, that makes sense. I'm hungry. Instead, he says, no, 
It's written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, it's funny when I see that. This is just chalk this up to a strange mind at times. But when I see that, I, I'm recall, I recall a story of a person who called on God one time. It didn't involve food, but it didn't, didn't end too well for him. It's a story of a, um, a businessman who gained a lot of wealth, but he gained it because he was a manipulative person. He, he gained it through lies and compromise and taking advantage of people. And so here he was one day, he's enjoying his massive estate. He's got streams and squirrels and woods, and he's just walking through the woods. He's just loving everything that he's been able to gather, as it were, on the backs of other people. And suddenly he turns a corner, and there's a grizzly bear staring right at him. So he turns, he books, he's got to get out of there, but there is no way he's going to outrun this grizzly bear. He makes it a little ways, and all of a sudden he feels the two paws hit him on the back. He falls down, he turns over just in time to see the grizzly bear rear up, paw ready to swipe, and he just throws his hands up and says, Oh God, and suddenly the grizzly bear just freezes. And everything around him freezes and goes still. And a light from heaven comes in and says, and here's a voice saying, you have lied and manipulated your whole life. Why should I save you now? Well, ever the manipulator who knows how to pull a good con, he thinks for a minute and he says, you know, you're right, Lord, I, I shouldn't be saved. I, I don't deserve it. But how about this? How about you make the bear a Christian? Here's a voice come back and says, the voice from the light says, very well. The light goes away. And the bear starts to move. Everything starts to move again. The bear takes its paw, moves it closely in, joins it with its other one and says, Dear Lord, I thank you for this food I'm about to receive. <laughs> so it didn't work out too well for that guy. And the truth is it wouldn't work out too well for Jesus here either had he taken the bait. But he identified that. He knew why. Because he knew what was going on here is that the devil's trying to tell him to make relationship with God all about the stuff God can provide. And he knew if I make it about that, then I will get taken down the path of entitlement and ingratitude and other things that can destroy this mission. And the reason he knew that is because what he was recalling is that scripture, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that scripture particularly came from a moment when the people, the nation of Israel, had failed. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 2 and 3, this is what we read. God says, Remember how the Lord God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. Jesus was hungry. Causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, with not, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see what God was trying to teach them? I will provide for you, but you need to understand your provision is me. It's not the stuff. It's not your need. It's me. And they forgot this. I'll leave it to you to read, but later on in the book of Numbers, as they're wandering, we see in chapter 11 that they begin to become so entitled with this provision God is giving that they're getting sick of it now, and they're telling them, we're sick and tired of eating this bread. Can't he provide anything else? How about a steak? Even some pizza. I mean, it's bread. Put some tomato sauce and cheese on it. Let's get busy. But the point was they, they, their mindset totally changed from one of gratitude to one of entitlement. And Jesus knew that that was the risk. He knew the trap. And he recalled that. And he knew to deal with it in a way that he didn't allow that in. Do we see what God has provided in our lives 
or only what he hasn't. That was said by a good friend of mine at one of the men's meetings recently. It was a great statement. Do we see what God has provided or do we only see what he hasn't? Because ingratitude can take us down. Ingratitude is one of the ways to destruction. Because I think we are all very good. If we looked at our past, I guarantee you each and every person in here could recall at least one moment, if not many, in which things did not go well, in which things were difficult, in which things were lost. We can recall that stuff with great ease, but we can't typically recall all the good that happened at those same times and how much we have to be thankful for. And that's a, that's a, a dangerous thing. We need to make sure ingratitude does not get a hold of our hearts or else it will lead us away from God. It will lead us away from his plans that he's doing. Here's another one, not just ingratitude. How about regret? You know, the despair of regret is a horrible taskmaster. Regret, I'm not talking about godly sorrow. I don't want to confuse those. When, we, when we're sorry for something we've done wrong, and we repent and we turn to God or we make amends with somebody, that's a very healthy, good thing. We can often see that as you are regretted to do something, we should regret those things. I'm talking about the thing that just constantly says, why not this? Why didn't uh, Here's a good example of it. Uh, uh, there's an image of a person who comes across a town named Regret. He says it this way, A town exists just down the road with many residents, but not a single soul is found, if counting joyful presence. Regret's an empty place, you see. It never claims a win, a place devoid of victory, a dreadful town to live in. The town fulfilled is opposite. The two shall never meet. And folks that live there in regret, they name each lane and street. If only Boulevard arrives to intersect the way of wish my life was different drive, appropriately named. I could have, but I didn't. Road, it passes near and greets. I should have, now I'll never know the dreary town's main street. The people never quite move on. They're living in the past. And when I realized I was one, I had to get out fast. With strong conviction, I changed tack and moved here down the road, except days find me walking back. Regret is always close. We spend our time saying, I wish my life was different. If only I had done this. And as we do these things, we're literally saying God can do nothing with the past that we've had. I've got news for you. You can't change that past. It will never happen. But rather than look at it and just live in a state of regret and in a way being grateful for even our mistakes, even our... How about this? Rather than live in regret, how about we live in redeemed? How about we turn it over to God? And say, Lord, what can you do with that mistake that, that I made? How can I make amends and walk with you in that now? Or, God, I know I didn't make that decision then, and I wish that path would have gone that way, but perhaps you've got a better path forward. And so I'm going to trust you on that. And it can be the simplest things that can change our entire direction. And we can redeem our past and begin to redeem our present. And God will take care of the future. We'll talk more about that another time. Let's turn our past over to him because he's the true heaven, bread from heaven that satisfies. And then he goes on with the devil to this next one. The devil took him to the holy city 
had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Jesus did something very important here, and this is why it's important to study and be a student of the word. Because Jesus knew that as true as that statement from the psalm was, it was a poetic statement. And it's never meant, it should never be taken to mean that we can do it, test God in any way we want Try anything we want, and God is obligated to rescue us from that. That was a misunderstanding of that poetic statement, and Jesus contextualized it by the doctrinal statement. See, we learn these things when we study the Word. Maybe you know them. If you don't, study. Jump into some things. Go deeper. It will, God will serve you in your way when you serve, or in your servant of His Word. And so Jesus did that here, but there was more going on because if you notice, in a way, the devil kind of said, hey, why don't you demonstrate God's power? I don't know about you, but when I first read this many years ago, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, what is the problem with that? Jesus does that many times. He demonstrates God's power. He he fed 5,000 people. He raised from the dead. He walked on water. So what's so hard about pulling a Superman here? I mean, right? He can just jump and take care of it, right? So what's the problem? Why is this a trap as it obviously is? Well, again, what did Jesus quote? He quoted from Deuteronomy 6. It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test, as you did at Massa. What's Massa? As we study this, we realize this was a place that after the people had been given miraculously this bread to eat to sustain them, God then provided water to drink miraculously because they were thirsty. But not before, not before they accused him of leading them there to die of thirst. So they had said to him in the moment, did you just lead us out here in this wilderness so we would die of thirst? Moses, God, is that all your God is doing? So the issue was not a demonstration of God's ability. The issue at the heart was a lack of trust. They didn't trust that God had their well-being in mind and that he would take care of them. And that's an easy thing to do in dry times, right? When we feel like life is just, it's not where we want it to be. And we start asking God, why? Why did you lead me here? Did you lead me here just to fall apart? Did you lead me here just because, am I going through this just because you don't care? Oh, everybody else seems to matter to you, but I'm the one in here you just don't seem to care much about. We can get caught with this. And it's easy to get caught with it because dry times are hard. They're painful. And we ask a lot of why questions. I would submit, though, as I heard somebody say many years ago, Rather than ask God why, 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 it might be better sometimes to ask him what. Lord, what is it that you're teaching me through this? Perhaps I'm walking through this and and needing comfort so that I can comfort someone else tomorrow. Perhaps I'm walking through this so that I might display your glory simply by walking through it. Because you know why? I think we know somebody that knows about carrying pain and turning that into purpose, don't we? Carrying suffering and bringing something of salvation out of it, don't we? 
And so, Lord, if I have to walk this in order to simply reflect you, maybe I can do that. And maybe I can trust your word that says that that, that type of, of suffering, even suffering can produce uh, a perseverance, and perseverance can produce character, and character can pr- produce hope. And that hope is a sure hope because it's based in the love of God that's in Christ. Maybe I can hold on to that right now. So what is a good question to ask? But again, it's not easy because it's hard, especially when the pain is deep. I was recently watching, I know this is going to come as a shock in this church, but I was recently watching The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> never talked about around here, if you're new, never. I'm a particular fan, of course, of many years. And um, there's a line that Frodo, after he has defeat, helped defeat this evil, but he sacrificed a lot. Many of them have. What I love so much about the theme is that no, but no one person is a hero. None of them alone can, can withstand the evil. It's because they humbly sacrifice for one another. That is what brings the victory. And I think that's a good message. But in the moment of it, after he's done, it has left some indelible marks and scars on him. And he makes the statement at the very end of those. He says, how do you pick up the threads of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you begin to understand there is no going back? There are some things that time cannot mend, some hurts that go too deep, that have taken hold. There are people in here who have hurts that are just too deep. They will never be mended in this world. Losses and other issues. And you know what? They, they, they shouldn't be because those things are not meant really for us to overcome or, or forget about. They, they make us a part of who we are. And that will always be the case. But that doesn't mean that God can't redeem those things. I heard a girl years ago who dealt with a tremendous amount of pain and suffering daily. And she was with a group of people, and the group asked her, how do you deal with this? I was shocked myself. How do you live with this every single day? You know what her answer was? She said, well, I've asked myself that same question, but I came to this conclusion, this realization, that Jesus lived every day knowing it was leading to a cross. And he still did it. And that brings me hope and strength every day. That's perspective. As I heard her share that way back then, I had no idea. I couldn't understand what she was saying. And then it was some years later that me and my wife got the diagnosis that our son had autism. And we saw hopes and dreams disappear. And we saw the new daily challenges every day that we would have to carry that came into that. And that's not an easy... You you know, you carry something else maybe. But what I learned from a good friend who heard said this years ago, our own worst thing is our own worst thing. We all carry our own pain. For us, it was that. But there's a way that God has redeemed and has brought so much blessing in ways I never would have understood at that time of carrying crosses the way we do. And that's, you know, there are families in here right now with children with special needs, by the way. There's families watching maybe right now, children. Listen to me. We need you. This community needs you, and you need a community of faith. It's important because we're there for one another and we carry these things together with God. I can think of an individual as a good friend here who walked in this church many years ago ready to lay their life down for good. They were done. They were just here to drop off a relative and then they had an opportunity to pray with somebody and turn their life around and their life has literally become a marker of redemption. And God has brought in purpose because they simply gave their past over to God. I can think of people in here who are ill. Some right now who know have a family member who's sick and now are wondering if they're going to be sick in the same way with a serious illness. 
There are those in here who have lost people in the last year. All of these things cannot be mended. We shouldn't try. What they can do is draw us closer to a Savior who knows a path of pain. He understands pain. That's why he still carries scars. Jesus lived knowing he was here to die. Can, can there be maybe a purpose even if our past is bound up with suffering? It'd be such an easy thing to just get bailed out of the pain, wouldn't it? Trusting is a harder path because it doesn't answer all the questions. God, I know you care for me, but are you near? God, I know you'll carry me, but are you here? God, I know you're just, but will you act? God, I know you're merciful, but are you so on my behalf? God, I know you'll meet me, but will you stay? God, I know you see me, but will you love me anyway? God, I know I don't know every answer, so I must hold on tight to you, for that's what it means to trust. We can turn our past over to the living water that quenches thirst. Finally, Jesus engaged the devil. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. But Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was remembering in this moment the failure of the people, the nation of Israel who had worshipped a golden calf. God was actually reminding them in this very statement that Jesus quoted. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, take your oaths in his name. That means respect him and revere him and keep him close. And that is not an easy thing to do nowadays. Because in a day when we are ripping down literally every fence post in the world, G.K. Chesterton once said it this way, he said, um, before someone removes a fence, they should first ask why it was there in the first place. We are ripping down every fence, every structure, every foundation from God to everything that he gave humanity and thinking we're going to come out the other end okay. I don't think we will. And this is exactly what the enemy, how he comes at us. He wants to tempt us to rip down God and become God, and that's how he tried to get Jesus. So rather than hearing God's voice, Hearing God's song, we get very confused. We throw out an out-of-place cough or we get distracted by some noise and the next thing you know, we're failing. And that's exactly where the people of God found themselves. They just, at times, just couldn't hear his voice anymore and they fell away. But Jesus succeeds where they can't. Jesus succeeds where we can't. We can have hope even in the midst of struggle, in the midst of failure, in the midst of pain, in the midst of great temptation and sin. What devil's craft a tune for you? Entrancing songs for you to dance to. Take heart. They fear the master's skill. He sings to us much deeper still. God has a deep song that he's singing to our souls. He has a deep word 
that will guide us through every storm. He has a son who will carry us despite any past. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they will follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. We're going to receive communion. Communion represents a people group and a past that had failed, that had fallen short, that was lost in pain and difficulty and tragedy. But true Israel came, and he redeemed all of that every single point. And guess what? He can do that with our past too because we're a part of that same people group. And so whatever it is you carry in this place, whether you're carrying a pain of the past, whether you're carrying the shame of the past, whether you're carrying a present sin, whether you're carrying a regret and always wondering why, today is a day that you can lay that down And you can choose to embrace the true Israel, the true bread from heaven, the true living water who can quench every thirst, who can satiate every hunger, and who can take every past and turn it into a future. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. are his delight Christ will hold me fast precious in his holy sight he will hold me fast he'll not let my soul be lost his promises shall last God by him at such a will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior Hold
Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Praise with Him to end this life. He will hold me fast till our faith is turned to side. When He comes at I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Jesus began that plan in that moment and began redeeming the past. He also redeems the future. We'll talk a little bit more about that next time. In the meantime, go with God. Listen to his voice. Be sensitive to him in the moment. God bless you.